Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jay, and you're tuning into Visual Radio, the show where we talk about pretty much anything. But for the time being, we don't have so much to talk about since we're just getting started. But if you tuned into last week's podcast about the Alfonso Cuaron film Roma, a uh, production by Netflix, um, thank you so much for, for watching it. I really do appreciate it. Um, and we're going to try to get this going. Quick little thing I wanted to say before we go on further, just because on the topic of Roma, um, we did have a update, you could say, for the film. It actually won the Golden Globe for Best Foreign Film about a week and a half ago. So congratulations to Alfonso Cuaron and the entire production. I think they did a marvelous job. And like I said on the last podcast, the film definitely spoke to me. I really enjoyed it, and I hope that a lot of you did as well. So what I wanted to talk about today is a little different from my last podcast. We talked about a drama. Now, today, we're going to be talking about a comedy. And it so happens that this comedy is actually one of the best comedies that I've seen definitely in a very long time. I first stumbled upon this film, I believe, about two years ago. And ever since, I just completely fell in love with it. I think it's one of the better comedy films to have come out um, this part of the decade. And I think for a good reason, too. Um, but before I get into the film, I did want to give a little bit of uh, background information on the directors of the film as well as the writers. Because I think they did a marvelous job with this film as well. So if you haven't guessed by the title, the film that we're going to be discussing is called What We Do in the Shadows. And it is a mockumentary style comedy film about vampires. So who wouldn't want to watch that film? So both directors and writers for the film are Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi. So the reason why you might not have heard of both of these guys as much is because their work is primarily focused on independent films especially in the case of Taika Waititi, who is much more behind the camera, I think, than he is in front of it, and he does a marvelous job. He is probably the one that you have heard of more recently because of last year's film, Thor Ragnarok, which he actually directed. And if you're familiar with his work, especially the comedy side of it, I think that it becomes very apparent that his vision and his imagination of where he took the film directly derives from those type of uh, comedic decisions that he usually does and I think he did a great job because for a very long time the character of Thor has been kind of stuck in a shell where he just primarily shines in the, the Avenger films that come out but Taika definitely did a good job I really enjoyed that film and who knows maybe we'll go ahead and talk about that in a future podcast episode but before we get into Taika, I did want to talk about Jermaine Clement first, um, and here we go. So both of these guys, as I said before, are from New Zealand, and they actually met each other at Victoria University, a school of arts and theater that is located in Wellington. Now, Wellington is the actual location where they filmed What We Do in the Shadows, and I mean the film pretty much takes place in that location. Both of these guys grew up in that area, so... That's a common theme I think that Taika and Jermaine share is that they base a lot of their direction and writing on the things that they grew up on, which is not uncommon for a lot of directors. 
you have people that really want to take what they grew up with and incorporate it in some way, whether it's drama or comedy, and these guys kind of do both. Um, so, Jermaine Clement is best known for his work with another Victoria University alumnus, Brett McKenzie, and both of them actually formed the comedy music duo group of Flight of the Concords. If you have not heard of Flight of the Concords, please do yourself a favor and look up any HBO or BBC performances that are available on YouTube. These guys are freaking hilarious. The genre that they work in is not by any means new, nor have they created it, but I think that they took this type of genre in a very modern direction, contemporary direction, because what they talk about is kind of like meeting a girl at a bar or having a a party with a friend or you know other other little things like that and i think i really enjoyed that part of their comedy duo it's just it just makes it very relatable and you'll come to see that it's pretty much the same case with taika with his films as well and that's kind of what i was talking about earlier uh, both jermaine clement and taika were both part of the group called so you're a man which was a five group ensemble that had them in like skin tight clothing uh, 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 skin colored actually too and they would just perform at bars they would perform at like little parties and it would be like a sketch thing so it's kind of like Monty Python um, if you're not familiar with Monty Python he I mean they were a group that did sketches pretty much but they gained their popularity in the same way. They would perform at locations and bars and stuff like that and just improvise and that, that's a big thing. And you'll actually see that that's a big thing that happens in this film, What We Do in the Shadows. They recorded over 190 hours of stuff and a lot of it is actually just improvisation. So the, 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 the way that they grew up and the way that they're comedy really started was with improv so it's not really a surprise that they decided to incorporate it with the film a little bit more about Jermaine and uh, Mackenzie so after the HBO uh, series called A Flight of the Concords which premiered in 2007 it was cancelled in 2009 which kind of gave Jermaine Clement a little bit more time to work in films some of those include Gentleman Broncos in 2009 the animated film Rio in 2011 Men in Black 3 in 2012, who he was actually the main villain of the film. And being a big Men in Black fan, I did not even know it was him during the time. And that was a little odd for me because I feel like I usually am able to point out actors and stuff like that. So to like not realize that that was him, either they did a really good job with makeup or I don't know. I mean, it's just, it, it wasn't his best performance, I should say, but I mean, Either way, uh, he was in that film. And more recently, he was in uh, the 2016 animated film Moana, where he starred as the colossal singing crab Tamatoa. And again, incorporating that kind of comedy uh, music into it, which again, and that film was actually pretty good as well. So now kind of going to uh, Taika, again, he was in that five-man group, so you're a man. And later on, he actually created a thing with Jermaine Clement where they're called uh, they were called the humble beasts and what they would do is the same thing they would do uh, sketches and other things like that in front of people and they were able to actually tour a little bit with that 
uh, with that group. Um, in 1998, they actually earned the Billy T Award, which is the highest comedic honor you could receive in New Zealand. So that was pretty great. Having stated before, Taika Waititi has mainly worked with independent films, so it's to no surprise that in 2005 he earned a uh, nomination for Best Short Film with his film Two Cars and One Night, something that he had definitely been working on since his days at Victoria University. Jermaine Clement even gave an interview where he stated that his first time that he met Taika and really got to see his work ethic, he really admired the way that he worked with his films and the way that he stayed so passionate with those type of commitments and whether they be comedy sketches or just film, he was really impressed with what Taika pretty much brought to the table. So now, if you guys want to read up more on these guys, I definitely recommend it. I think that they're remarkable filmmakers and comedians and to think that their early work is just a small testament to what could be, I'm really excited to what they will come out with in the future. So now let's move on to the film, what we do in the shadows. Let's start with the characters of the film and the first five whom I think are the most important in the storyline of the film. The first being Jermaine Clement playing Vladislav, a 862-year-old former tyrant vampire with extreme powers, primarily hypnotism. You have Taika Waititi as Viago, who is aged 379, and he is the uptight leader of the, the group and the house where they live in. And his performance is a little bit more unique because of his accent. He doesn't really go for that Transylvania type accent like the rest of the other guys, but um, he actually, uh, based off his accent on his own mom, which I thought was a cool little spin, so his voice is a little higher than the rest. You have Jonathan Bruch as Deacon, who is the youngest of the vampires. He is aged 183 and is considered the young rebel of the group, and he's very fond of knitting. You also have Stu Rutherford, who, while at first when he's presented in the film, he is the only non-vampire, non-paranormal guy that you see in the film, which I think his inclusion makes it a little funnier. And he pretty much is what he is. He is an IT technician, and he was actually a real-life high school friend of Waititi's and when he found out that you know they were gonna shoot a film you know he would help out in little things here and there but he didn't actually know how big his role in the film would be and we'll get into that when we talk about the plot now the last person that we have to talk about is Corey Gonzalez Makur I think I'm pronouncing that right who plays Nick and he is what's it starts off as an intended victim for the guys, so the vampires are pretty much all congregated to eat him, and he ends up turning into a vampire himself. So, we have one more character who is, I think it's not as important, but I'll go ahead and include him because there's a lot of the, a lot of the plot kind of has little bits of him in there, and that is uh, Ben Franchem's Peter who is an 8,000 year old vampire, so he's the oldest of all of them. And he's the one that kind of looks a little more 
more like a vampire. He looks very scary. He has like these long fangs and just really creepy looking little fingers and actually sleeps in a stone coffin just to kind of show how aged he is. Um, and a little, a little um, trivia, I guess, that I wanted to give before we even get into the plot now is that I didn't even realize that all five of these guys, all five of these vampires, they are based off another traditional vampire that you have seen in in film which i thought was pretty cool because my first run in with this with this film i didn't really think about it as much because i was more focused on story but it's actually kind of cool now that you think about it so vladislav who is played by jermaine he has the most appearance of uh, gary oldman's dracula so he has like long black hair, a mustache with a goatee. It's almost like a match for match if you see it before in, in the Gary Oldman version of Dracula, he ends up turning into like an ugly monster looking Dracula. But when he's like appearing like a human, he is like very handsome and very, you know, very long hair and pale and all that stuff. Next you have um, Waititi's character of Yago who has much more of an interview with a vampire aesthetic. Um, he kind of looks like Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise's characters where they they wear like this very fancy 15th century clothes with little puffy puff ties and, and everything. And that's where that inspiration actually came from. Next, you have Jonathan Brooks Deacon, who has a much more uh, old school Dracula look, kind of like uh, the characters or the actor's name, sorry, is named Bella Lugosi, who is an Italian uh man who played uh, Dracula back in I believe it was like the 70s or even like 60s I want to say but this one has much more of a like pale and very slicked back hair thick eyebrows and I think the eyebrows are the one thing that he kind of really based the character off of because it's it's not like anybody else's and finally you have Peter who no, I mean, he, he straight up looks like a vampire, and his resemblance is to Count Orlok, who, if you don't know who that is, don't be shocked. Um, it's that one Nosferatu guy. Um, if you guys have ever seen SpongeBob SquarePants, there's that one episode where they're all freaked out, and they're trying to figure out who's the one that's turning on the light on and off, and then they end up just saying, like, Nosferatu, and it's like this scary-looking vampire who has been clicking the light on and off and that's that's Peter that's the that's the vampire that he's kind of basing that off of and yeah so that's that's a little trivia for you so now let's get into the plot so we begin with uh, what we do in the shadows with it's pretty simple uh, Taika's character Viago wakes up there's an alarm clock that ends up going off it's like 6 a.m. I think and he just sorry 6 p.m. And he just kind of rises from his coffin. You know, he checks the windows to make sure that there is no sunlight because they're waking up like at sunset. And he goes off around the house, waking up everybody else. You see Viago upside down, uh, just wait, uh, sleeping it off. Um, you go on to uh, meet Vladislav's character who is in the middle of an orgy with other vampires. And finally, you have Peter's introduction where he's just inside of a stone tablet. 
he ends up getting pissed off because he's woken, so Viago comforts him by giving him a chicken, which he could then eat. They are in the middle of coming up with a chore chart, which I think is hilarious, and that's where I got the inclination that this was going to be a great film. You have a bunch of aged, ancient vampires that are preoccupied with keeping the house clean, and it's primarily Taika's character that kind of bothers um, is bothered by the fact that no one is cleaning but nonetheless it's just I think it's a hilarious thing so then the film moves on to what they do daily so they you know they're cleaning the house they're doing all their chores and finally they pretty much are gonna go off into the night and try to find themselves some fun and entertainment so Wellington from some research that I did and some interviews with Taika apparently it's like a very boring place being from California the one place that I can think of that would be the equivalent of this would be like Bakersfield California no offense to anybody who lives in Bakersfield but back when I was studying at uh, UC Davis I had a few friends who were from the area or the surrounding area and I kid you not every single time they would bring up Bakersfield California they would just call it a cow town and there was nothing to do and that was pretty much it so Wellington by that contrast seems to be the same thing there's not a whole lot going on and I think aside from it being Taika and Jermaine's hometown they wanted to emphasize like well what would vampires do in such a boring town like Wellington New Zealand so again that's a catch for me that's like a hook I, I really enjoy that like well, what would they do and so you find out that you know they're kind of going hopping bar to bar trying to gain access into these bars and behind the vampire lore you find out that vampires are not able to go into anybody's house or any other location without first being invited in so that's the joke there is that nobody is allowing these guys to go in maybe because of how they're dressed or how they're acting or just that they're a little funny uh, funny nobody lets them in and so they end up going to this other little bar um, that is very depressing and they just are like dancing by themselves that's where you first meet the character of Jackie who is a human servant or familiar as she calls it and she pretty much runs errands for Deacon that is her, I mean, her, her master she wants to become a vampire she desperately asks him and kind of tries to bring up the topic every now and then but deacon kind of just shoves it off he doesn't really care as much and i think that's another funny aspect of it it's just someone who wants to become a vampire whereas in most vampire films you see everybody trying to run away from that because nobody wants to become a member of the undead jackie ends up inviting her ex-boyfriend Nick whom we talked about before because Deacon wants to have a bunch of people humans come to the house so that they could have dinner and then they could go ahead and murder them so it doesn't really go off according to plan Nick ends up getting freaked out by some uh, spaghetti that he's served that to his eyes looks like a bowl of worms and Deacon, as a joke, ends up making him seem that his penis turned into a snake. And that's what kind of freaks him out, which 
is then followed by one of the funniest scenes in the film, which is a one-track shot of Nick kind of running through the house, trying to get away, and just this really loud percussion-type uh, organ or, or uh, flute-type music is just coming out of nowhere, and drums, you know, so you kind of get this feel of urgency that he needs to get out of this house. You see the vampires here and there, just kind of hidden, trying to mess with him. At one point, he opens the door and he sees Viago squirt, uh, sucking the life out of this one girl that he came with and blood squirting everywhere while Viago was just yelling, shit, shit. And that's really funny as well. He then goes into a room, he locks the door, but Deacon is inside of his backpack and tries to strangle him. He throws the backpack on the floor and he ends up running out the door of the house. When he's yelling freaks at them, he basically gets attacked by Peter, who then just presumes to suck out his blood. Everybody else is bummed, and so that's kind of the end of that night. You see Jackie the next morning washing up the blood that was left on the driveway, and then you think that's pretty much the end of Nick. So the opening to this podcast has a little Indian song playing, and that's actually part of the film because what follows is Deacon doing a little sexy dance for his vampire flatmates and it's interrupted by someone knocking on the window. They live on a two-story house and they look out the window and you pretty much see it's Nick and he's floating. So what ended up happening was that Peter sucked out his blood but ended up turning Nick into a vampire. Now he's not the only person that was turned into a vampire. He's actually uh, the one who's been turned before by Peter was Deacon's character and he kind of explains that in the first 10 minutes of the film which I think is it's pretty funny so Nick tries to kind of adapt to his new life as a vampire he being the youngest of the vampires now he really wants to be accepted within the group and he believes that he has kind of like the modern edge over these guys so he wants to teach them but he also wants them to teach him some stuff so what ends up happening is they go out on a night in town together all four of them but Nick actually invites Stu so as I said before with Stu Stu is just supposed to be like a regular non-vampire he's a human but Nick has such a very strong friendship with him that he doesn't want to eat him even though he really strongly wants to and he fights the urge to but he ends up admitting to Stu that he's a vampire and you just have this one normal looking guy following these four vampires around and he's just a human he just teaches them how to use YouTube he teaches them about cameras he teaches them about a bunch of other stuff and they all end up finding a real interest with Stu. They they love him, and Stu ends up being like one of the best characters in the entire film. And it's definitely he's definitely one of my favorite, um, just because of his just inclusion in, in such a mess. It's like you almost feel like you, the viewer, are Stu in this case because you probably wouldn't be reacting um, like all these other guys are um, around you who are just vampires and stuff. So I thought that was pretty great. Um, so despite being able to um, get his new friends uh, into like the nightclubs, which they're like going to frequently now, Nick still struggles to adapt to like a life as a vampire. So 
he ends up accidentally revealing to everybody that he's a vampire. And what ends up happening is that one of these guys who finds out he's a vampire is a vampire hunter. And they break into the basement of the house one night, which ends up in Peter being exposed to sunlight. And they all run out to the basement. They all try to help him out, but he's like completely engulfed in, in, in flames. When they're investigating the, the matter afterwards, they find uh, out that, yeah, that vampire hunter was the one that Nick was talking to and Nick even admits it. So what ends up happening is that they go through a procession of shame, which is literally just Nick standing in a circle while the rest of the vampires are just yelling shame and shame and shame at him. And he's just kicked out. He's exiled. But Stu is still invited because Stu is super nice and he's just a best friend to have. So sometime later, the vampires end up receiving an invitation to a masquerade ball where they meet the other undead and other supernatural beings like zombies and witches and someone who ends up being there and is actually the person of honor is Vladislav's ex-girlfriend called Pauline, but he refers to her as the beast. So the beast is mentioned throughout the film and you keep thinking to yourself, like, is this someone who is, like, really supernatural? Does the Beast have some sort of, like, edge over Vladislav? Because he talks about, you know, defeating the Beast and how they fought the Beast and all this stuff. So they end up going to the Masquerade Ball. And they're dancing and, you know, they're having all this fun. And the guys end up seeing Nick with Stu there. So... This whole masquerade ball is only a supernatural thing. So there are absolutely no exceptions to who's invited. And Pauline, or the Beast, ends up finding out that Stu is a human, which creates a big clusterfuck. So the group has to try to figure out how to get Stu out of here before the vampires try to kill him. That's when Vladislav, who did not want to go to the masquerade ball initially because he found out that the, that the beast was going to be there, he ends up saving the day and, well, kind of, and he fights Pauline's boyfriend, um, who is also like this really ugly looking vampire guy. And while they're fighting, which, you know, you could tell that Pauline's boyfriend is kicking Vladislav's ass. Out of nowhere, Stu saves Vladislav by impaling Pauline's boyfriend with like a huge stick. And that's it. They end up leaving the party and everyone's commending um, uh, Stu for his efforts and all that stuff. So it's this when they encounter a group of werewolves who actually came out earlier in the film. Um, I didn't mention it just because I feel like it's not that important and I don't want to be talking about it forever. But these werewolves um, are just like a group of funny guys. The lead actor for that little group, his name is Riss Darby. And he's actually come out like in other films too. Um, I think I primarily just remember him from Hot Fuzz, that one um, Simon Pegg film. Uh, it's it's really funny he's a really funny dude so um, he's the leader of the group of werewolves and there's a full moon and so what ends up happening is that they all transform and the vampires have to pretty much run away and while they're running away since Stu is not a vampire he ends up um, getting attacked by the werewolves and they assume that Stu is dead so what happens later on is 
Nick is kind of grieving about everything. So this is where Deacon's character really comes out to shine. So throughout the film, Deacon is just completely jealous and he does not like Nick at all. But he really sits down with him and explains to him the life of, uh, of being a vampire. How being a vampire is a very lonely thing because it's just, you know, it's, it's like a lonely life. You know, you live forever, but you have all these people around you that you love and you care about. They end up dying because they do not live forever. And so he kind of comforts Nick, which I thought was really a sweet moment in the film. Later on, uh, I think it's it says that it's like a few days or maybe weeks later. You have Nick come to the door and he, he was exiled, but you know, they the vampires welcome him and in walks in Stu who says hi to everybody, but he comes along with the group of werewolves. So what ended up happening is he uh, Nick, uh, sorry, uh, Stu is found by a group of police and while they're loading his body, what they think what he, they think is dead, loading his body into an ambulance, he ends up transforming uh, into a werewolf and he attacks the crew and um, who ends up finding him are the group of werewolves that initially had transformed him. So they offer him a pair of pants and that's it. He's a part of the pack now. So the film pretty much ends with like a union of werewolves and a union of vampires and they're pretty much friends now so i thought that was pretty cool um and that's pretty much it you know that that, that really is it uh there's other little things that i didn't really get into it uh just because i think for the time's sake i didn't want to keep talking about the plot as much because i did want to talk about other things as well but overall i really really love what we do in the shadows um it's a film that I think hits really close to home because you have a group of people that are so close and so character driven and I think that's one of the best things Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi do in their scripts and in their writing is that they create characters that you really care about and I mean really it's not hard to see why they they really care about the 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 plot as much as hey where is this going is does this have a point and what is the overall reward for these characters at the end of their their little journey and stuff so firstly I want to talk about my favorite things about the film um, I think that again just kind of going back with the whole character thing something that this film really reminded me of since it's it has like a mockumentary style aesthetic is like the British and the American versions of The Office as well as like Parks and Rec um, and other things come to mind but I think that what made The Office and Parks and Recreation such a popular show was again the characters you care a lot more about the characters than you really do about the story because you kind of are interested to see where these characters end up going to and that's the same thing that could be applied to this film these vampires you could see them as being very gluttonous as being very selfish as being self-obsessed narcissistic i mean but that's just kind of what you expect of a vampire you know that's their their character but like let's say with the introduction like characters like Stu, with characters like jackie who are humans um it kind of throws a, a wrench in this whole 
like masochistic vampire driven thing like hey the man of the house or whatever you know no it's like a group of, it's a bunch of friends who happen to be vampires that end up living in this century somewhere where they're not from and that's just, that just really makes it work um, I really love that about the film so now to the things that I didn't really like about the film which is very few it's not like it's super long um, I did not like this little storyline that had to do with Taika's character of Iago where he pretty much had a girlfriend while he was a vampire and she was young but he ended up uh, losing her because she moved to New Zealand where he was before in um, I think it was Germany or something like that and he, he had like a, uh, a servant his name was Philip so what ended up happening was he ordered Philip to mail his coffin to New Zealand but it ended up going through like a detour and I think he spent like two or three years like lost elsewhere in the world and so finally he arrived at New Zealand but by then um, his his uh, his love interest her name was Catherine um, she's already married and he didn't want to murder the guy that she married because he saw how happy she was so he decided to just kind of lay back so throughout the film, you kind of see Viago standing outside of like the nursing home where this lady is because she's still alive, but she's like really old and she's just pretty much in like a nursing home. So at the end of the film, you find out that um, Viago actually went over to bite Catherine and she turn uh, he turned her into a vampire. So now they could be together forever. And that's pretty much it. I, I didn't think the storyline really had that much interest you know in it which is probably why it's so short but i know that the many times that i've seen this film now it's always the part of the film that i'm kind of like well i mean it's not that great it's not that fantastic or whatever but either way uh that really is like my only gripe it's just that little part of the film um everything else is great the cinematography i mean it's just it's a mockumentary so it, it's you can't really expect them to do much with it but the score the the music that they added it's very rustic it feels very like old which i think is the whole point of it you have these old vampires living together so you have like a lot of like instrumentation that's like drums with like uh guitars or mandolins um bass it's 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 really interesting um but yeah i i i really liked those aspects of the film and that's pretty much it. Um, that's all I have to say about it. Uh, please go ahead and if you haven't watched the film, go ahead and watch it. I know that you you will enjoy it if you enjoy those type of little silly, quirky kind of comedies and everything. Um, so thank you once again for listening to this podcast. If you got this far, um, as I mentioned in my last podcast, I'm just getting into the whole coming back into the podcasting thing so if you have any suggestions or any recommendations by all means go ahead and leave a comment on the soundcloud link um and again this is visual radio podcast i'm your host jay and thank you so much for listening and you guys have a good night and farewell